All right, well, today's sermon comes from uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Now, um, we're in a sermon series uh, on our launch of our discipleship here at Grace Church. And last week, the topic we covered answered the question of faithfulness. Will we be faithful to heed the call of Jesus to be disciples who make disciples? Now, today the question is one of availability. Will I make myself, um, all of who I am, available to Christ as his disciple? Now, many Christians, when they hear the pastor say, be available, they're thinking that we're that, that, that we're asking um, for, some, for you to just carve out a little more room in your busy schedule. But that's not the kind of availability that Jesus is talking about. See, Jesus isn't, look, isn't asking us to take a look at our calendars to see if we can maybe fit one night in a week for a discipleship group. No, in the passage that we're about to, ready to read, Jesus makes it crystal clear that you cannot be a disciple of his unless you give him all of you. And not just your time, but all of your family allegiances, your life dreams, everything you possess. Renounce it all, says Jesus. Make everything about you available to me, and then you can be my disciple. I think I'm making this up. I'm not. It's what Jesus says in our text. Let's let his words speak for themselves. For just a little context before we read, though, uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Very soon, he will carry a cross uh, up a hill and offer his life as a ransom for many. But he, now he's being followed by a large crowd that represents a pool of potential disciples. But they're following Jesus for the wrong reasons. And so Jesus stops the parade, and we read, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and he's not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able, with 10,000, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, um, and if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce All that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, these words of your son, our Savior, they're, they're, they're black and white. Um, they're clear. Uh, and yet they're, they're, they're hard for us to receive. It, we see that we're being called to something that seems so, so difficult and hard. Um, and so we pray that you would open our eyes to the glory of it, the goodness of it, that you would uh, cause us to be available um, for Jesus through discipleship, 
we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to have uh, ears to hear um, these things and, and plant them in our lives, we pray. Amen. In 1914, the British explorer, Ernest Shackleton, Sir Ernest Shackleton, announced a dangerous expedition to Antarctica. It is purported that he ran an advertisement uh, in the London Times, which read, Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition, in event of success. You know, I wonder how many disgruntled wives in London saw that ad and turned to their husband and said, hey, honey, I think I found a job for you. <laughs> now, why do you think that advertisement laid out all the negatives of signing up for the journey? It's because Shackleton wanted his crew to have counted the cost before going. There can be no half-hearted quitters on such a journey. And oh, by the way, he had over 5,000 responses, and three of them were women. In the few verses before us this morning, Jesus lays out the cost of being his disciple. Please let this sink in. Jesus has no room for half-hearted disciples. He makes it abundantly clear as he speaks to this large crowd that was following him parade-like into Jerusalem that there is a, there is a great cost if you follow Jesus. They thought that parading into Jerusalem with Jesus would lead to one of those 21-gun salutes and uh, joyful singing in the streets, and they wanted to follow Jesus for the fun. But little did they know that Jesus wasn't leading them on a victory parade, but rather a funeral procession. So he stopped the parade, and he addressed the, the mass of potential disciples, and he said in so many words, if you follow me, there can be nothing that gets in your way. Not family, not fortune. You must renounce everything that competes with your love and loyalty to me. Now, I think this morning, I'm afraid that none of us are going to leave here unchallenged. Jesus leaves no room for a watered-down commitment to him. Jesus says, all of you or none of you. So we must count the cost of discipleship. And for many of us, this will be a recounting of the cost. And when we've done that, hopefully we will see that it is all worth it. Today, may we come to understand that because Jesus Christ counted the cost and gave us his all, we must be disciples who count the cost and give him our all. This morning we're going to divide our times, time into two areas, two costs. First is the cost of following Jesus, and the second is the cost of not following Jesus. First, the cost of following Jesus. Picture the scene. Hundreds, perhaps thousands, are, are following Jesus parade-like on the way to Jerusalem, and he stops them to challenge their commitment. And the first challenge he calls uh, the crowd to, to count is the cost of hating your own family. Verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus says that phrase three times, cannot be my disciple in this passage. Now, imagine the looks on these people's faces, how confounded they would be. At first glance, Jesus seems to be contradicting the fifth commandment to honor one's father and mother. What's going on here? 
Well, in ancient rhetoric, people would use harsh contrasts to make clear distinctions. And here Jesus is using hyperbole to capture the seriousness at hand. And so in saying you cannot even be his disciple unless you hate your father, mother, wife, and family, and even your own life, Jesus is conveying the truth that your ultimate love and your ultimate loyalty is to be to him. Phil Riken, whom I'm, in, I'm indebted to this morning, makes the following helpful point. He writes, Jesus must mean more to us than our own families, however much we love them. There are times when our love for our families can get in the way of our love for Jesus Christ. It does this when we let our parents discourage us from making a more complete commitment to Christ. It does this when a marriage turns inward instead of outward to serve others out of the strength of a godly partnership. Or when we have an idolatrous attachment to our own children and their activities with little time left over to show mercy or share the gospel. So Jesus isn't telling us to neglect our responsibilities to our family. Even when we hate our family in this biblical sense, we love them. But Jesus is telling us not to let the claims that our own families make on us interfere with the claims that he makes on us. Jesus' own family and followers urged him not to go to the cross. Thankfully, for, for our sakes, his love and loyalty was to his Father in heaven. And so we too are to love Jesus and remain loyal to him above all else. That is what Jesus is challenging this crowd to do, to count the cost. Unless Jesus is your highest affection, you cannot be his disciple. How does that challenge you? Seems hard, doesn't it? Do you, like me, tend to want to downplay Jesus' call to total allegiance? Well, that's the first challenging statement that we need to count the cost of. The second one is found in verse 27. And this one gets... Even crazier. We are to count the cost of carrying our own crosses. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, picture the faces on this crowd. No doubt they would have been beyond bewilderment here. You see, a cross back in Jesus' day was a grotesque, horrendous image that you would never mention. Now today, people adorn their necks with pretty beautiful crosses, but never in a million years would anyone in Jesus' day ever do that. I'm not saying you have to take your cross off, but just understand the context. Back then, a cross was gross, horrendous. And here, Jesus says that you cannot be his disciple unless you too bear your own cross. Now, what does he mean? Well, when Jesus demands us to bear our own cross, he wants us to have his cross in mind. As Jesus spoke the words, he was on his final journey into Jerusalem. He was going to his cross, and he willingly did so. He counted the cost, and he was led by the glory of his Father and his love for us to die a death that he did not deserve so that we may receive a life that we do not deserve. So he counted the cost of giving his life for the world, and he thought it was wonderful, and so he took his cross. Now, though he was misunderstood, though he was despised and rejected by the very people he came to save, 
In love, he went to the cross. Though his own family and friends and disciples said, don't do it, he did it. The cross of Christ is to be your pattern for discipleship. As Christ radically donated himself for our sakes, so too we are called to a radical self-donation for his sake. It's this attitude that drives our motto here at Grace Church. You know, our motto, right? Alive in Christ. This cruciform life is what years of discipleship shapes you into. The more mature we are as Christians, the more we agree with the Apostle Paul when he said in in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Discipleship throughout the ages, disciples throughout the ages have served Christ at great cost to life and limb. In many cultures, coming to faith in Christ means that you will suffer rejection by your family and your communities. Even today in some parts of the world, if you convert to Christianity, you can be killed for your faith. In America, rarely does discipleship cost you your life, or, uh, but it is costly nonetheless. You may be passed over for promotion, uninvited to parties, you name it. Now, whatever this cost is, we know that the cross we bear daily is patterned on the cross of Christ. Now, after these two costs that we're to count, Jesus provides a couple mini parables for illustration. The first one uh, is about counting the cost before you undergo a big building project. Jesus said, who would begin building a watchtower without first checking their bank balance? Now, in Jesus' day, a watchtower was no single-story mud hut. It was also a charitable donation, like when somebody offers to build a new fire station in the community. What an amazing gesture. But one thing this benefactor had better do before laying a foundation is he better count the construction costs and then check his bank balance. Otherwise, he might find himself to be the laughingstock in the community. There is much at stake to follow Jesus, and there can be no half measures. So Jesus says, don't be someone who begins and then bails out. Count the cost. For many of us, we need to recount the cost again. We've counted the cost before, but perhaps God's building project, us, uh, have gone a few years or months without any progress. If that sounds like you, Take time this week to recount the cost. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus without counting the cost and making an all-in commitment to make all of you available to Christ. So that's the cost of following Jesus. But there's another cost in our passage, the cost of not following Jesus. If you think the cost of being a disciple of Jesus is high, then consider the cost of not being his disciple. When I was in business school, I was introduced to the term opportunity cost. It's very useful in the business world, but also in life in general. See, opportunity cost is what it costs you to not do something. 
So, for instance, if you decide not to build a plant in China, then the opportunity cost is all the sales you're going to miss out from the Chinese market. Another example would be, say you're saving money to go on a trip to Europe. But then that friend calls you up and says, hey, how about joining me for a trip to Alaska next month? Now, if you say yes to the trip to Alaska, then the opportunity cost is you will not be able to go to the trip Europe, at least this year. And so if you say no to being a disciple of Jesus, there is an opportunity cost to it. And what I'd like you to consider is just how enormous it is, this opportunity cost. Jesus mentions two opportunity costs of not following him as his disciple, two costs of non-discipleship. The first is the cost of not having peace with God. And the second is the cost of not enjoying abundant life that only comes through being a disciple of Christ. So the first cost of non-discipleship is seen in the illustration where Jesus uses the, the, the illustration of the king who, uh, who is uh, entering into war with another king, or he's about to. Jesus shows that a wise king of 10,000 troops would sit down and deliberate whether he's able to defeat another king with 20,000 troops. And, and guess what? Chances are he's not able to. And so if, if he realizes that he's not able to win, then the king would be wise to consider the opportunity cost of actually going to battle. If he goes to battle with the greater king, the opportunity cost is what? Life. His life the life of his soldiers, but also peace for, for, for his kingdom and his people. And so the wise king does not want to miss out on the opportunity for life and peace. So he, what does he do? He sends a delegation long before the battle lines are drawn and asks the greater king, hey, what are the terms of peace? What must I do in order to be in this peaceful relationship with you? See, the opportunity cost of going to war would be to miss out on life in peace with the powerful king. Now, my friends, who is this greater king in this story? It's Jesus himself. We're to sit down and consider if opposing him is our best option. To go on opposing Christ's offer of forgiveness and discipleship is to miss out on the opportunity for peace with God himself and joyful discipleship with the Lord. Did you notice that just as the king in that story would send a delegation asking for the terms of peace? What will this peace cost us as, as a country? So too, Jesus declares the terms for our peace with him. It's right here. What is it? We have peace with him, but, but what are the terms of this peace? We read them in verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce any, like so that's not like, okay, three or out of four is a good number. No, any, any, um, every one of you who does not, um, excuse me, let me back up. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. All that we have, any one of us, you know, we hear those, we hear those words, and, and we, isn't it our tendency of our fallen nature to, to try to find middle ground? 
You know, maybe he's like, maybe he's just like, you know, uh, over-exaggerating. Our fallen hearts want to find middle ground. But Christ the King has come with terms of peace. And, and with his terms of peace that we just read, there is no middle ground. John Fitzmaier translates verse 33 this way. He says, Everyone, one of you, who does not say goodbye to all he has cannot be a disciple of mine. These are the terms of peace with Christ. Christian, listen and, and be challenged with me. When Jesus called you to himself, he did not forgive your sins to send you on your way to keep living for yourself and for your kingdom. Jesus' terms of peace are renounce it all, leave your kingdom behind, and enter into his kingdom where Christ is king. See, listen, understand this. Try to wrap your head around this. Salvation by grace is free. But following him will cost us everything we have. Listen, a disciple who has renounced everything to follow Jesus is the only kind of disciple there is. It's challenging, right? Jesus doesn't have a Jesus doesn't have any category for a Christian who is not following him as a disciple who has given up and renounced everything to follow him. There is no category for such a Christian. Challenging, right? I know a Christian man whose aunt willed him $28 million, much to the dismay of her own kids, the entire estate. This Christian friend prayed for the Lord's will, and he gave it back, all of it, to his cousins, and they never said a word of thanks. Many in our society, though, cannot comprehend what would cause someone to do such a thing. But, listen, a disciple of Christ understands. We get it. Disciples take seriously Jesus' call to renounce all things out of love and loyalty to Christ. Christ, who renounced, check it out, that's what the gospel tells us. Christ renounced his glory and came to earth in humility and suffered and died. Now, to renounce all that you have, listen, to renounce all that you have isn't the same thing as getting rid of it. This is where some of you go, ooh, good, there's, there's my exit clause. No, um, it may be that Jesus will want us to keep some of what we have in order to use it for his glory. But if Jesus calls us to do it, we must be ready to give up anything and everything for him. That is what it means to count the terms of peace. We must renounce our love and loyalty to all we possess and lay it at King Jesus' feet, asking, here it is, Lord, what would you have me do with it? So that's the first opportunity cost, along with the terms of peace with God. The second opportunity cost of the path of non-discipleship is that you miss out on a truly free and abundant life in the present. John, uh, gospel, John's gospel records these words. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my what? Believers? No. Disciples. 
and you will know the truth, and you know how this goes, and the truth will set you free. Most people who have yet to come to Christ in faith think that coming to Christ actually makes you in bondage to rules or regulations. They don't understand that they're not free. Um, They're not free to say yes to Christ, which means you're not free at all. But to all who abide in his word, they're his disciples, and they have been set free. Later in John's gospel, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The cost of discipleship is so high. I get it. We all get it. But it's worth it. True freedom in Christ and the abundant life that only he can provide. Now, it doesn't seem worth it on the surface, right? Discipleship with Christ is like there's this hidden door in this dark and dreary room that Jesus invites us into. A room which looks like hating one's family, um, a gruesome display of a cross and renouncing all things. Definitely, definitely not an, an appealing room to enter into, right? Kind of like a haunted house. <laughs> but then Jesus pulls at a bookshelf and you realize it's a door into another room, a room of freedom in Christ, an abundant life in Christ. A room where God is no longer a distant deity, but he is now your heavenly father. A room where sorrows turn to joy, where where suffering produces noble character and contentment, where trials bring joy, where everything sad comes untrue. And, And what is the word that Jesus uses to describe this free and fruitful, joyful, world changing, abundant life? Salty. Verse 34. Jesus says, salt is good. Salt is good, no matter what the doctors tell you. Jesus says, salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. When people passed the salt back in Jesus' day, it wasn't the pure sodium chloride that we get at King Colon or Stop and Shop. It was a, a compound that was derived from evaporated seawater. It had more in it than just sodium chloride. In fact, over time, the sodium chloride could, could leach out. And then the compound, which you held in your hand, actually had lost its saltiness. And it became useless. You wouldn't even want to mix it with manure and use it as fertilizer. Now, salt in the ancient world was valuable. Not only could it preserve meat and fish for months, it also made things just taste better, right? Salt made life and this world better. And the life of a disciple is to be a salty life. Makes life, our communities, this world better. And so in verse 34, Jesus warns us that if you say no to being Jesus' disciple, then your life will be tasteless, like saltless salt. Jesus is saying that if we are not his disciples, that we are of no spiritual use to him. But if one remains in Christ and, and comes under his discipleship, watch out. 
See, this is why Jesus commanded these first disciples to go out and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And we find ourselves here today. It is only through focused, purposeful, life-on-life discipleship that, that our lives become what Christ desires for his church. It is only through intentional discipleship that we become saltier salt. And so you need to count the cost of saying no to discipleship in grace groups here at Grace Church. Discipleship may look to you like a dark and dreary room, like in a haunted house. But if you choose not to enter, then the opportunity cost is the abundant and free life that awaits you in Christ. It's that cut and dry. Now perhaps you're thinking, you know, I'm doing pretty good as a Christian without like discipleship. Well, you know, that thought alone indicates that you need discipleship. And this is why being in grace groups here at Grace Church is so important. We need, guys, we need the constant encouragement and the accountability of other Christians in our lives if we're to become salty and keep our saltiness. We'd like to think that we can be the people that Christ is calling us uh, to be, that he's speaking of in this passage just by attending a few worship services a month and doing daily devotionals in the privacy of our own bedrooms, but we can't. You and I need focused, faithful, life-on-life discipleship groups so that we can grow in Christ's likeness and honor him more and more. So, last week we determined that we must be faithful to heed this call into discipleship. Today we've determined that we must make ourselves available to Christ and his call of discipleship. To make ourselves available is to count the cost of following Jesus as his disciples. There's no half measures to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We must renounce all loves and loyalties of our previous life. And we've looked at the opportunity cost of not being in discipleship with Christ. We miss out on life and peace that can only be found when we choose not to battle God anymore and instead enter into Christ's kingdom through repentance and faith. And we miss out on the salty life, the joyful, happy, blessed life that only a follower of Christ can know. There is a lot on the line. Next Sunday, you'll have an opportunity to sign up for a grace group, discipleship group. Before you do, I would like you to spend some serious time counting the cost. As we wrap up, let's be challenged by a few words uh, of Phil Riken one last time. Listen to what he writes. Have you counted the cost to follow Jesus? Many Christians give up precious little for Jesus, especially those of us who enjoy abundant material prosperity in the United States. Of America. How tempting it is to treat Christianity as a religious justification for doing what we already do. And how tempting it is to hold on to what we want in life and refuse to let God have it. Our money, time, possessions, relationships, and ambitions, even the wounds we lick to nourish our self-pity. What are you clutching that is keeping you from following Jesus the way he demands to be followed? 
Jesus calls us to renounce everything for him and then to receive back from him whatever he wants us to have. Once I have given Jesus my family, my life, and my all, what else is left? Only the life that Jesus wants me to have, the way he wants me to have it. Let's pray. Jesus, these words are hard. Um, We do want to sugarcoat them, uh, to downplay them, to come up with some sort of middle ground where we hold on to the lives that we treasure, chasing after our own ambitions, and then still somehow being your disciple. We are thankful that you say that is not possible. Um, But we do ask, Jesus, that you would give us the courage, the faith, the desire, um, and, and the spiritual power that we need to even begin this journey. We pray that, that, that our lives would be found in you, that we would become saltier and saltier for your glory and for the glory of your kingdom. Amen.